Warning, the information and details you hear on this podcast can be gruesome, graphic, and in some cases triggering. These are real people. These are real cases. This is true crime. Listening discretion is advised. Welcome back to another episode of Couch Detectives, where I bring you true crime stories of murders, mysteries, and conspiracies. And I occasionally tell these true crime stories to random people who are unaware of the cases and get their live reactions and responses. But today, I'm riding solo. Today, I'm going to the backyard of the lovely people in Danvers, Massachusetts, to bring you a case that was pretty high profile and extremely sinister. It is my intention for this podcast to avoid high profile cases because they typically have already received a lot of attention and news coverage. However, this case was so disturbing to me that it's worth bringing attention to again. This is the case of Colleen Ritzer. As a teacher, this case hits really close to home. And for all of my teacher couch detectives, this case might be pretty emotional for you. So the year is 2013. And first we have 24-year-old ninth grade algebra teacher, Colleen Ritzer. Same age I was in 2013 teaching. Colleen was born on May 13, 1989 in Lawrence, Massachusetts. And according to just about every source I've read, they described her as a young, dedicated, and influential teacher. One of those type of teachers that make learning fun, relative, and meaningful. Like you want to go to her class. She had a Twitter page for students dedicated to posting fun math games, affirmations, and influential messages. She had a tutoring program after school to help students who needed additional support. She was just really one of those teachers who went above the scope and sequence to ensure students' success. On the other side of this case, we have 14-year-old Philip Chisholm. Born on January 21st, 1999 in Clarksville, Tennessee. As a child, most people described him as a typical kid, sometimes moody, like most kids I know, but usually respectful and normal. As he got older, some of his behavior changed. A friend of the family remembers him quite disrespectful to his mom a few times. His mom and his dad ended up getting a divorce, which is what led to the move from Tennessee to Massachusetts and an even bigger change in his behavior. Many people have stated that he took the divorce pretty hard. On top of dealing with that, entering a school where he didn't know many people had to be kind of hard for him. So this case occurred on October 22nd, 2013. Colleen left her home to make the commute to Danvers High School to begin her day, which was expected to be just another normal teaching day for her. She went the day teaching her algebra classes and wrapped up those classes around 2 p.m. And then she began teaching her afternoon tutoring classes. The day turns into evening and by dinner time, she's yet to make it home. 
And this concerns her parents because if she was going to be late, hanging with friends or having any issues, she would have called. She didn't. Around the same time, Philip Chisholm's mom is concerned because he also isn't returning her calls. And he hasn't made it home either. She doesn't even think that he's with friends because even though he is on the soccer team, he's still pretty new and hasn't made any friends yet. So we have two different sets of parents, both concerned about their children. According to sources at about 6.34 p.m., Diana, which is Philip's mom, calls the police and reports him missing. And on the other side, Thomas Ritzer, Colleen's dad, had gotten into his car and made his way to the school to begin his own search for his daughter. When he got to the school, he saw that her car was there and was somewhat relieved. He went into school to search for her, but didn't find her. So he started calling her friends, thinking maybe one of them picked her up. Maybe they went to a happy hour. As a teacher, those things happen, and sometimes we carpool. Unfortunately, all of the friends said that she was not with them, and they hadn't heard from her. Now, Dad is beyond concerned, so he calls the cops to report her missing as well. At about 8 o'clock p.m., the principal actually sent out a mass email about Philip being missing and for them to be on the lookout and search surrounding areas. Around the same time that he sent out this email, he got the call about a teacher missing too. I know he's probably like, what is going on? And as a couch detective, I am pretty sure you have questions too. Are they connected? If so, how are they connected? And the seasoned couch detectives have probably already put this case together and solved it. So as they are trying to make sense of things, they realize that Philip was actually in Ms. Ritzer's tutoring class that afternoon. Another teacher said that it wasn't normal for him to be there, but he was, and Ms. Ritzer, being the teacher that she is, welcomed him in. It has even been reported by another student who was in that class that she witnessed them talking about China, and initially, everything was fine. In the early parts of the investigation, they put most of the attention and focus on searching for Philip because he is a minor. He didn't show up for practice. He wasn't answering his mom's phone calls. And while in our custody as a teacher, it is our responsibility to ensure the safety of our students. So they are canvassing the school and the area looking for clues. Police at the school went to the cameras to try to figure out what is going on and trying to get some answers. But because it was somewhat of a new system, they were difficult to navigate at first. They are looking everywhere. Classes, bathrooms, the gym, labs, everywhere. Then clues start popping up. While searching one of the restrooms, they came across some smeared blood. Okay. Sketchy. Outside, they find Ms. Richard's purse with nothing in it. Okay, again, sketchy. Nearby, there are some clothes, as well as two pair of shoes, a pair of women's shoes, and a pair of soccer cleats. Okay, super sketchy. So we know Philip Chisholm plays soccer, but he's bailed out on practice that day. So at this point, 
it's like, are they together? Did someone abduct both of them? Did they run off together? Why is there stuff here? What's going on? A little while later, a recycling bin was found in the woods with rubber gloves and a note that said, I hate you all. So now police and school personnel are like, something is obviously wrong. They are trying so hard to connect the dots here. In the process of tracing Philip's phone, they realize it's still on. So this is a good thing. They trace his phone and it pings at the movies. They race over there hoping to get answers, hoping that maybe by some odd chance, Miss Ritzer is with him. Got there and he wasn't there. Neither was Miss Ritzer. But one of the employees said she had seen Philip and he was on camera around 4.30 to watch a movie. Okay, so maybe Philip just needed some time to himself, some breathing time. His parents were going through that divorce. He's at a new school. So maybe he just wanted to get away for a little bit. Maybe. Evening turns into night and still no sign of Philip or Miss Ritzer. Around 12.30 a.m., police receive a sighting of Philip. He was found walking in a town about 15 minutes away from school. And it is a relief that at least one of them had been located. But once they find him and start talking to him and examining him, they realize that something is off. They search inside the drawstring backpack that he's wearing. And inside of it, there is a box cutter, some women underwear, with blood on them, and Miss Ritzer's driver's license and credit cards. This obviously raises red flags for the police. They ask him, where are you going? He responds, nowhere. They ask him, how did you get Miss Ritzer's stuff? He responds, I broke into her car at a gas station and I stole these things. They ask him, what about the box cutter? He said, it's a survival kit. They asked him, what about the underwear? He said, the girls. They put him in the police car and take him to the police station. Early the next morning, Miss Ritzer was found near the school, half naked under a pile of leaves. She had been raped and stabbed multiple times. I'm not really sure how they missed her body previously. Maybe a search of that area didn't occur. I'm not sure. But Philip's ID was found in his school backpack near her body. During an interview with Philip, he did admit to killing Miss Ritzer in the school restroom in what he initially described as some sort of karate chop. After more talking, he goes on to say that the karate chop knocked her out. Then he put his hand over her mouth and dragged the box cutter across her throat. The first time, it did not break the skin, he said. 
but a second wound across the neck killed her. He did not admit to raping her, but the evidence shows that he did rape her twice, once in the bathroom and once in the woods where she was found. It's been stated that he raped her after she was already dead. Now, knowing his account, what I'm about to describe to you, you can actually follow along if you click on the YouTube link that's in the description box. If you saw this video just randomly and didn't know anything that I just told you, it wouldn't mean much. But now that you have a little background information, you are about to see how this unfolds. And I think this video might shake you to the core. So this is 12 minutes and 19 seconds of school surveillance from different cameras in the school. I am not going to give you all the details. Or I'm not going to detail all of the parts. If you want to, you can go ahead and click on the link and watch it. If you want to watch it as I'm going through, you're going to have to click past some parts. So we know, as I stated earlier, that Ms. Ritzer usually finishes teaching at about 2 p.m. before her tutoring classes start. At the beginning of this video, it starts with Ms. Ritzer walking out of the classroom at 2.54 and 20 seconds. You can see her walking down the hall towards the women's restroom. She even smiles and waves at someone as she's walking. At 2.54, in about 25, 26 seconds, you see a shadow emerging out of the classroom that she just came out of. And at 2.54 and 27 seconds, you see Philip Chisholm walk out of the classroom in a blue hoodie. He looks to his left, then to his right, pauses for a moment, takes a few steps, then turns around, and goes back into the class. By this time, the video has already shown Ms. Ritzer is entering into the bathroom. At 2.54 and 41 seconds, Philip is seen walking back out of the classroom, this time with his hood on and his head down, heading in the same direction that Ms. Ritzer just went in. At 2.54, in 52 seconds, you see Philip come into view of the camera near the restroom, and he is about to enter. As he's about to enter, he pulls out a pair of yellow gloves from his pocket and put them on as he enters at 2.55 in five seconds. Y'all, this is all happening within one minute. He's followed her from the classroom to the restroom. Thought about it, I guess, because he turned back around once, came back out. And now he has entered into the same restroom that Ms. Ritzer is in. The camera then shows 11 minutes later at 3.06 in about 15 seconds, a young lady walks in that same restroom and immediately turns around and leaves. She didn't even stay for five seconds because I'm sure whatever it is that she saw alarmed her enough to not want to see anymore. 
I also wonder where she was during the search, but that's neither here nor there. After she leaves out, the camera drops about a minute and a half to 3.07 and 42 seconds. This is when Philip comes out of the restroom with a hood over his head. Another camera catches him walking back down the hall with his hoodie still on, but now he has what looks like a black shirt in his hand. The camera catches his journey out to the parking lot and then back in the building at 3.09 p.m. This time, no longer wearing his blue hoodie, he's only wearing a white t-shirt. At this point, he's literally jogging. Even jog past what looks like another teacher heading home. He went back to the classroom and came out with his belongings in a red sweatshirt over his shoulder at 3.11 p.m. He journeys downstairs, gets rid of his backpack, and then is next seen with a ski mask. He has on a ski mask in broad daylight in the school, and he's putting on this red shirt. School is still happening, y'all. People are still in the building. He even ends up jogging past another student who looks like he's trying to make conversations, like throwing his hands up, like, what's going on, bro? Like, why are you running? He eventually returned to the restroom at 3.16 p.m. with a recycling bin. This is a whole nine minutes since he first left the restroom. At 3.22 p.m., he comes out in his white t-shirt and that black ski mask pulling the bin and heading towards an elevator and then outside. He rolls the bin with his teacher inside it past a man that was walking his dog outside. I really want y'all to visualize this and understand there are still people in the school while this is happening. There are people all around. About seven minutes later, he's seen coming on the camera, rolling the bin towards what looks like the woods. As he's rolling, teachers are walking past, getting in their cars, just going on about their day, unbeknownst to what's happening right under their nose. About 24 minutes later, he's walking back across the parking lot, barefoot, and going back into the school. No shoes, no socks. He goes into the boys' restroom this time, changes his clothes again into a black hoodie and some black shorts. Still, no shoes. He eventually goes back into the women's restroom where he committed this crime, and he stayed for about a minute before leaving the school at about 4.06 p.m. It looks like he goes back into the woods and then comes out and is even seen talking to other students who are also barefoot, by the way. So I guess this isn't abnormal for them not to be wearing shoes. I thought it was a bit odd, but apparently this is normal. He ends up going back into the school. He has on shoes now, and he's just kind of walking the halls. Then finally, he leaves the school at about 4.30, almost an hour and a half 
after he followed Ms. Ritzer into that restroom, raped and killed her by stabbing her 16 times. In 2015, he was tried as an adult after he stabbed another woman with a pencil in the neck while waiting for trial. Thankfully, she did not pass. There were people there to save her. He had some people speak on his character during the trial, saying that he was a kind young man, some saying that he was even misunderstood. His lawyer even stated during closing arguments, Philip Chisholm, a kind, smart 14-year-old, committed these terrible acts when he was in the throes of a serious mental illness. His defense wanted to argue that he was mentally ill during the time and he did not know what he was doing regardless of what the surveillance cameras reveal. Dr. Eugene Barrison, a professor of psychiatry at Harvard Medical School and a specialist in adolescent psychiatry, said, I personally have never seen anything like this in the hundreds of cases I've had and the thousands of cases I've supervised. He goes on to say, most kids who commit violent acts have a history, a history of something, of impulsivity, of mood disorders, or of abuse and neglect. He continues and says, I see kids every day who have witnessed the most horrifying sexual and physical abuse, for example, or have been abused themselves, but they don't do this. Well, Philip did, and he never really offered up an explanation. It is stated that he said a trigger word in the conversation he was having with Miss Ritzer is what set him off. He wouldn't say what that word was. But the same student who overheard the conversation about China said that she did hear Miss Ritzer mention Tennessee and he got visibly upset. Maybe hearing his old state sent him into a killing state. Philip Chisholm was found guilty of Colleen's murder and received life with the possibility of parole after 25 years. On top of that, he received two 40-year terms to be served consecutively for the robbery and rape, but one was fought and dropped because it said that because he raped her after she was dead, it was no longer considered rape, but necrophilia because this is having relations with the dead body. However, he will spend the rest of his natural life in jail for what he did. As a teacher, we have so many different students with so many personalities. We never know what is going on at home or behind closed doors. But like Miss Ritzer, we go in every day and we give them everything that we have and try our best to reassure them that while they are in our care, while they are at school, it is their safe place. But it also has to be a safe place for us. Until next time, keep an eye on your backyard.